Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to King's Place. Please welcome a man who's come back from holiday in Devon for this. It's Richard Herring! We're starting. We're not. We're not doing anything. We're not doing any uh, pre-go show. This is straight in. We're no no clapperboard. Welcome to King's Place. I've been on holiday. I'm, I, this is, I'm going back on holiday tomorrow. This feels very surreal. Also, our guest, first guest, went to the Leicester Square Theatre. So, um, <laughs> I might be I might be filling for a little while. We may talk about it with him. Um, <laughs> welcome uh, to uh, Richard Herring's large size Tinkly Tonk podcast, which is, yeah, call that because Andy McH, who's in the front row here, t- tweeted me to say that this, the publicity for the King's Place this week had me as music, and the picture for, on the website was, or in the brochure, was of a, of a grand piano 
on the stage. So I've decided to take that as a, as a calling. I can't really play. I've, I've got grade two piano, so I reckon I could give it a go. So we're going to wheel out the tinkly tonk, as I call it. Just <laughs> fit in uh, with it. Anyway, no, but I was, uh, I was hanging out at Arlington Court and the uh, National Trust Carriage Museum near Barnstable yesterday <laughs> on my holiday. And a man dressed up as a stagecoach driver, he said it's, he said it's rehearsed to us. I don't know, I thought that's going to catch on. Yeah, I have been on holiday, it's so strange, uh, and uh, it's been fun. I, I've been, well this week actually, before I went on holiday, uh, I, um, I was with my daughter, I picked my daughter up from the nursery, and it was a nice sunny day, and as we went to, out the school, her friends were playing on a bank by the school. She said, Dad, can I go and roll on the bank? I said, yeah, yeah, fine, off you go. And then so she was rolling around, they all have, she's four years old. So she's not 28 years old like you were imagining. Uh, and, uh, and she was rolling around in light fun and said, Daddy, Daddy, do you want to go? And I said, yeah, why not? And without thinking, I went and rolled down the bank of grass, which was an incredible experience. It's been a long time since I've rolled down. A, when you're 51 years old, like I am, your arms really get in the way, which I, I don't remember happening as a child. B, you go incredibly fast. I went much faster than a four-year-old due to... <laughs> <laughs> increased intensity and it was I got incredibly dizzy and also thought as I was falling I, I thought oh fuck I can probably really hurt myself I could break I could break a hip doing this it was incredible it's better than any drugs I've been on in my life which is no drugs uh, and I do recommend it uh, and on holiday we've been I mean my daughter just she's such she's very adventurous which I'm not and she we've been climbing trees uh, out by the uh, the beach in uh, where we are in Woolacombe. It's lovely out there. Do go and, and stay there. Uh, and uh, so we, I've been climbing trees with her. It's been insane. But before we went on holiday, uh, we just had some workmen doing some work in our garden. And um, she, my daughter had planted this sunflower seed in the garden, in this little plant. And they didn't know, really. They just thought it was a weed. And they chucked all their stuff on top of it and destroyed it. I mean, literally destroyed it. Uh, and my wife is going, oh, this is so... She's been tending this plant so carefully... Uh, as a father, I'll do anything for love. So I went to the local garden centre to see if I could buy another sunflower plant. And they didn't have anything. It was like a little tiny sapling. And so I came back with quite a well-grown sunflower. <laughs> and I thought, if we can just actually, we can just string this out so it doesn't look in the garden until we get back from holiday, this might work. So I planted this sunflower. Uh, and it was working until half an hour before we went on holiday. She went out in the garden. She said, she came to me and said, Daddy, Daddy, something's happened. I said, why don't you go? I said, look, it's, my sunflower's not there. I said, it's there. She said, no, no, it was over there. Was, uh, <laughs> so, like, she remembered. It was, like, literally with about six inches where she... Uh, and so I said, oh, yeah, we had to move that when the men were working. But that's just grown, it's grown really well, hasn't it? And she went... She knew. She's four years old. It's, it's a weird thing lying to a child. I just didn't know, you know, she's going to cry a lot in her lifetime. I just thought, if I can just spare her one tear, that would be... That's just sparing one as a father, you want to do it. It's a place of love, but it is lying to your own child. And she realised it was a lie, and it's probably mentally scarred her for life. So that is a terrible thing to look out for. So uh, hopefully our guest is settled and out of the toilet now. Uh, what I was generally going to do uh, was... Uh, I had Nish Kumar, uh, who you may remember, <laughs> stood in for this. The last time this person couldn't come. I mean, he, near, he got to the Leicester Square Theatre this time, so he's either very early or very late, wasn't he? So... Uh, uh, I was going to get Nish to come out. I was going to introduce our guest, and then Nish was going to come out, and we were going to pretend he was the guest. But Nish is sick. It's such a shame. So there, Nish, Nish couldn't make it. 
to this one. It's sort of weird. It's a weird symmetry. I said, I like the poetry of that niche. Sorry, you're ill, but it's, it's good. So you've been sick. Anyway, my guest this week, he's probably best known as the voice of the Fatones on... Yeah. <laughs> one person. On Richard Herring's Stone Clearing with Richard Herring podcast. Will you please, will you please welcome, hopefully he's here, it's Mr. Michael Sheen, ladies and gentlemen. He's here, he's here. He's here. I made it. They can throw fruit pastels from every direction here. As we're talking about backstage. I didn't hear what you. Uh, voice thought. of the voice of the Stones. You're the voice of the Stones on I my am the Stone voice of the podcast. I mean, must... All four of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I do the voice. Of them. Must have been so exciting when you got the news. I would like to help out actors. <laughs> and I knew that I. I, I, I had a it was a tough Michael, audition process. And I said, would you like to be the voice of the Stones? How did it feel when you got that, that job? Was I that, was elated. Yeah. I was absolutely elated. When I got the, uh, the certificate with the <laughs> wax seal on it yeah. that you get when you get a part, yeah. I was very, very excited. <laughs> and did you do any preparation for it? Because it didn't really sound like it. I spent much. six months... <laughs> I spent six months living in a quarry. Yeah. Uh, and I worked as a stonemason apprentice. <laughs> It was a secret for a while, it was you, and hardly anyone guessed that it was you. Yeah, no one really cared. No, no one one really listens to the the podcast, so it's it's a shame. Well, I want to apologise to you, I'll get get this out of the way first of all. I've met you once before in uh, McHuntleth. McHuntleth, yes. The festival in McHuntleth, the fantastic festival, and you're at the bar. um, Oh, hello. We're being being heckled by a bee, it might be mine, I guess. Is that my agent going, Michael, what are you doing now? (laughs) Which theatre are you at? How much faster can you slide? I'm going to turn my phone off in the hope that... Or was it you? It might be me. Well, it might be me as well. (laughs) It didn't happen last week. Sorry, I forgot. I'm going to put it on airplane mode. Well, I don't know if that'll work. (laughs) I just made that up. And I just thought that. Someone must have done that. Before. They must have. Oh, I don't know if they have. My wife's got a joke, which is I put my plane on airplane plane settings and it's told me to stop calling it Shirley. That's my wife's joke about... <laughs> That's a thinker. That's that is, good. Uh, that is good. Do you um, mind if I take my jumper? Don't d- take them off. I did warn you it would be warm and I'm committed to this jumper. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's in the poster and everything. Fair play to um, Why are there people behind... Oh, hello. Please, God bless you. God bless you. But what are, what's going on there? <laughs> Is it, is it a good view up there? Is it just so full? Yeah, it's all right. Wow. Yeah. I feel I've been known for being doing good acting with my back. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be very expressive. Most people are are in front of us. So I don't think we have to worry too much okay. about those losers who bought their tickets Fuck very you. late. Is what is what happened to those. People. Let's mainly concentrate on the people up here. I met you <laughs> yes. uh, at the bar, and I'd just been out eating a hot dog on my own. I was quite lonely that year in. Uh, in McCunthlet, you know, it's difficult to be friends with. You don't know who you can be friends with. Yeah. You know? It's a very friendly place. Uh, and you were at the bar, and I was very excited to see Michael Sheen. Uh, and I shook your hand, and I had tomato ketchup all over my head. <laughs> and it was quite a sticky shape. And then I bought a drink, and then when I sort of turned around to sort of see if I could talk to you more, the circle around you had closed <laughs> so that I couldn't, I couldn't talk to you. So I didn't get yeah. a chance to apologise for that. So There's been too many grubby-fingered comedians <laughs> in my life. 
So I now have special, have special ninjas to stop little it. Little wink. Yeah. People know. No, I remember. I remember. It's funny because I remember meeting you. I don't remember the tomato ketchup. Do you not? Okay. But I just remember because I was quite starstruck. Really? Yeah, yeah. I was, I, you know, big fan. Been a big fan for a long time. I don't get starstruck. I do get starstruck by proper celebrities, right? But I'm very. I don't meet many of them on here. I was very starstruck, but I was very, I was very excited to meet you and John Sim are the two most exciting people I've ever met. No, in, in real not life. ever. It is. In John, when I, John, John Sim was in some radio studios filming, came and I went. <laughs> and, Do you know what I, I met recently that I was very overwhelmed by? Was do you know uh, Laurie Anderson? Yes, Laurie Anderson, the the, the brilliant performer, like oh, art. She's, she's a true artist. Yes. And I, when I was eleven, I think ten or eleven. Do you remember that song, Oh Superman? Ha ha ha! It drove everybody mad. I loved it. It had a <laughs> profound effect on my life. And it, it I bought. It was one of the first singles I ever bought. Nice. I think. How, I mean, it, it became a hit. How did that song become a hit? <laughs> Here come the planes, they're American planes. It's so weird. And, um, but it became a hit for a, for a time. And I loved it. And I went out and bought the single. And ever since, I've, it's just like, it's been a big thing in my life. I've loved it. I made my daughter listen to it, drove her mad. I, I loved it. So, I'm in New York a few months ago. And... Uh, this is quite a name-droppy story. Okay, uh, so, I don't know if you've heard of the Velvet Underground, but uh, <laughs> John Cale uh, invited me to this exhibition. It was opening there, and he's Welsh, so we all know each other. And, uh, and he invited me to this exhibition, so I went along, marvellous. And I thought, well, I'll just go and say hello to John before I leave. And he had, like, loads of people around him. And uh, I'd make sure I didn't have any tomato ketchup on my <laughs> Yeah, let's always do that. Watch Check that. your hands first, always. And then uh, and I went up to John, and I was having a little chat with John. And then Laurie Anderson comes up. Obviously, was with Lou Reed, uh, and, you know, she came up. So she was there. And I saw her, and I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Going on in my head. <laughs> and I thought, this is probably the only time I will ever meet Laurie Anderson. And I just said, um, hello. Um, um, oh, Superman had a profound effect on my life. <laughs> and she just went... Thanks. And walked off. <laughs> and John Cale took... And I went, oh, God. And John went, well, you did better with her than I did. And, uh, <laughs> but, and I thought... And for the first time, I thought, oh, that's what it's like when people yeah. come up and do that to you, you know? And I thought, well, it was the only time I was going to see her. <laughs> At least, you know, it was important. Sometimes it's more important to you, isn't it, than yeah. it is to them. And uh, so I... But I, that is fairly humiliating, though. Yeah. <laughs> It was like when I, I got to interview David Lynch once for a radio show that I did, and I went to his studio in L.A. Oh, I'm, I'm a huge... He's my favourite director. And, he, and I went up to the studio to meet him where I was going to do the interview, and, uh, uh, and his, like, assistant engineer, studio engineer, Dean, was there, and Dean said, I'll just go and get David. And he came up, and he had... He looked like David Lynch. And he had, like, you know, his shirt done up and a jacket on, and he had, like modelling clay over him and, like, sculpture dust and a little roll-up cigarette in the corner of his mouth and his hair was all over the place. And he just looked like an artist. And, uh, anyway, I do this interview with him and I'm resisting gushing at any point. And then at the end, I thought, I'm ne- I might never meet him again. I said, David, on behalf of everyone that has been affected by your work. <laughs> and I just, I could hear myself, and a little voice was going, shut up, Michael, shut up! 
You are really <laughs> fucking this up. And I couldn't help myself. And I just, you know, you've really affected my life. Yeah. And they must nice. like, even if they hear it a lot, they must still like it. Well, if people, if people, and they do very rarely, but if someone comes up to me and says, like, that, that you know, they, I've, something I've done has had a big effect, I mean, it's, it is, it's yeah. lovely. Yeah. You might not quite know where to put your hands, yeah. but, you know, it's, it is lovely. Yeah. I don't mean that in a weird way. <laughs> I mean, you know, you get a bit awkward, you don't quite know what to do with your face, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I imagine it's like that. Uh, it's, uh, I imagine I'm looking forward to that happening. <laughs> in that jumper. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, there's loads of things I want to talk to you about, and then some of them won't be the normal things, as you may be aware. You are, you're such a fan of the podcast, you went to the wrong uh, venue? Yes. Uh, it's in the name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore, Grandad. Get with it. This is Rehalistopa now. I thought... Thank you, well I thought I was being so, like, clever and funny. <laughs> so, Richard had said, when you're five minutes away, just text me, let me know. So I'm, like, walking through Leicester Square, and I text him, Hi, Richard, Nish Kumar here, <laughs> five minutes away. <laughs> and I'm walking in, and I say, Hi, I'm here for the show. And the, uh, the, the lovely lady who was ushering there yeah. said, Right, where's your ticket? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I'm a minor celebrity. <laughs> that's, that's a very cold reception. Uh, I said, No, I'm... <laughs> No, no, no. I'm in the show. And she said, really? And I could see her brain not processing it. I thought, that, what, why, why would that be so weird? She said, so you're on the show with Frank? And it was at that point I started to worry. And then I realised, ah. And then they said, oh, 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 Richard's show. Where's Richard Herring doing the show tonight? And at that point I thought, live from Blackpool. It's Richard Herring. Fuck! So I got in a cab and uh, whizzed my way in. Near enough, we're enough. Right, the yeah. first thing I want to talk to you about yes. is War of the Worlds. You've recently done an audio drama. And I was quite confused by this War of the Worlds. Yeah, I, mean, right. I thought you were redoing the Richard Burton. I was. But you weren't, because there were no songs in it. Where were the songs? Right. And there was loads more, like, sound effects of tink, 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 yeah. drinking okay. tea. And there was... Uh, <laughs> And, like, loads more story. And I thought, this is, there's more acting and stuff in this I remembered. I'll ask you a question. OK. Does it begin with me saying, no one would have believed? <laughs> does it? I can't even remember. It does? <laughs> and at the end of that speech, does it go, dun-dun-dun? It does. It so does. as far as I'm concerned, I was doing that version. Well, I'll tell you why it's definitely not the version. Because right. I, I listened to the whole thing yeah. to hear how you delivered one line. Yeah. And you did not deliver the line. <laughs> what was the line? Which is when... Richard Burton, in the War of the Worlds, meets the artillery man, played by David Essex. Yes, David Essex David is Essex not David Essex we're going to build a new world, underground. He has to yes. do that first of all. He does, he which, does. Which is more or less in there. In and a then, brave new world! <laughs> and then Richard Burton looks at what he's dug and says, I could have dug that much in a day. <laughs> well, I was looking to see whether you would... I deliver it with that. the same contempt as if Richard Burton's main emphasis was, yeah, I could have done that easily. That was pathetic. Not like, this is a stupid idea. I could have done that I... in a day, you <laughs> earring pseudo-gypsy. <laughs> I was very upset to listen to five hours of that to find that that yeah, didn't happen. No, I don't say that. Um, I don't say that. But no, it is, it's, so, I, uh, as well as, funnily enough, as well as Laurie Anderson's, uh, 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 another thing that had a profound effect on me, 
around that age was Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I loved it. Uh, my cousin Hugh, who was about five years older than me and therefore a god, uh, introduced me to War of the Worlds and uh, Jerry Rafferty and Lord of the Rings. Okay. Uh, so I've always associated those three things. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and um, War of the Worlds, oh, the double album, the sleeve, the illustrations, all that. Ooh, la. Do you yeah. know this album? Am I? No. It doesn't um, matter if they know or not. We're matter. mainly talking about this. Yeah. The whole show. <laughs> yep. I'm going to do the second half of it <laughs> yeah. for the last three quarters of an um, I-, I loved it. And so, again, grew up with it, listened to it all the time, played my daughter with it, the whole thing. And then I get a message. My agent sends me a message. Uh, I think it might have been the same day as I got the Stones job. Uh, she said, uh, Michael, Jeff Wayne's been in touch. Do you want to do a new version of War of the Worlds? I, I said, I'm in. And uh, so I went to Jeff Wayne's studio and we did the whole thing. But he wasn't allowed to do the actual songs. Right. I think because they're owned by someone else. Oh, really? But he had, but all the music from it. And then they kind of extend, they put more drama into it because it's for Audible. So it's yes. slightly more drama. Um, Taron Egerton. Yes. Rocket Man uh, plays David Essex, David Essex. playing <laughs> yeah. the artilleryman. Yeah. Um, Adrian Edmondson. Adrian Edmondson. I didn't realise until afterwards I looked and... Yeah, he's yeah. in it. Really good. Uh, and, and I get to do the Richard Burton bit. Yeah. So, I look, so I go to, get, go to Jeff Wayne's um, studio and one day he said to me, because uh, he knew how much... I'm such a fan that when we had to do a little bit of a like interview, behind the scenes interview on camera, I started crying. <laughs> <laughs> I said... I, 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 I can see a pattern here. I said, oh, this album has had such an effect on my life. <laughs> and I actually started crying in front of Jeff Wayne. Yeah. Um, but he, he knew I was such a fan. So that he, he said, I'm going to... I've got all the original recordings here. And he did that thing. Do you ever watch um, classic albums? Have you ever seen those documentary mm. shows, classic albums? On, they used to be on Netflix. I don't know if they still are. I've watched all of them. I love that format. Uh, where they, someone is sitting at a big mixing desk <laughs> talking about, well, yes, uh, when we isolated mix <laughs> vocals, there was, you know, some engineers there, and you sort of listen to all the individual bits. Jeff did that for me with War of the Worlds. So I knew that album inside out, and he just started playing individual bits. And then he even played me a bit of Richard Burton in the booth going, um, do you want it a bit faster, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of, a bit slower, a bit more dramatic. Uh, it was amazing, yeah. amazing. Well, I'd recently, I've, I'm not, I'd recently listened to David Tennant, who does the audio who? book. Who's that? He's the, he's the Scottish you. Uh, he does the... Uh, <laughs> he does the audio book uh, of War of the Worlds, which he? has just come out. Yes, yeah, so I'd listened to that, and it's an amazing story. And then I thought, well, I'd better listen to Michael Sheen doing... He never the, mentioned that. And so I was very... And he's my lover. I was... <laughs> I was extremely familiar with the... And it's interesting, on audiobooks, there's quite a few H.G. Wells ones altogether. It's worth getting, and I'm going to say this for free to those... But some people on uh, ACAST pub- get paid for, uh, for publicising this. I'm doing this for free. It's a very good... H.G. Wells books are amazing. I know you've played H.G. Wells as well. Uh, really, way ahead of the time. In yeah. the, and when you're a kid, you read them one way, and then an adult, you read them another way. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great book. Um, can't remember where I was going with that, but I do... Some people believe that he invented the internet. Right. Because he, because he... he... 
Yeah. He was a writer. Yeah, no, okay. it was. Incredible. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. But he, he came up with this idea of a, a constantly updated encyclopedia. So mm. the idea of something that retained information that was constantly being updated all the time. Yeah. You know, essentially. Well, it's amazingly ahead of his time. Like, you know, it's, it's, uh, what I like about the, uh, Jeff Wayne's uh, War of the Worlds is that it retains my favourite bit, which is that the, uh, the journalist or whatever is learning to ride a bike on the week that the, that the, that the aliens come. Uh, it's and details so it like is, that, but that's, uh, that really places it in 1895 yeah. when the bike yeah. was invented. Uh, but Jeff Wayne... Some of it's a bit camp, I have to say, Jeff Wayne's version. I'm going to go that far. How dare you? But... He vastly improves the War of the Worlds by making uh, the, the wife figure or girlfriend figure part of the story rather than the, the brothers useless. Yeah. It? It's a stupid yeah. bit of the book. Yeah. But, it's, but, but that's what it I was going to say. Great. David Tennant, some people, when they're reading an audio book, it says, read by uh, Sophie What's-Face. It has her name, probably. Uh, and, uh, but David Tennant's performed. Performed by David Tennant. David doesn't read a book. Yeah, he's performing. <laughs> David doesn't act a book. David performs a book. But I highly recommend War of the Worlds in all its format. All its format. I think as War of the Worlds come out of copyright or something recently, because there are fucking millions. <laughs> there's really I'm loads sure of versions. Of yeah, yeah. There's two TV versions. There's yeah. the one we did. There's fucking Tenant. Yeah. Um, They've done. Someone sent me a link because I've been writing about War of the Worlds a lot on my blog, and someone sent me a link to there's an interactive War of the. Has anyone been to this interactive War of the Worlds? A 3D experience where you get shot by Martians. Huh? Wow. That's come out as well. Jeff Wayne's, wow. you know, he's... Well, Jeff he, Wayne's getting a little bit of... Ooh, a little bit of, a little little bit of, of cheese. <laughs> um, he, uh, he does a big live show. Have you seen the yeah, big yeah. live show? I, I haven't seen that yet. We had Ricky Wilson on uh, the other week who played the artillery man in one of the live shows. <laughs> not That's not going out of that podcast. So it's, um, <laughs> but it did give me the chance to do my... Uh, I could have dug that much of a day routine again, which Chris Evans will be happy about. There is a... Interesting little, very niche subgenre of of films or stories, which is people who ultimately end up writing a story or making a film about the destruction of their hometown. Right. H.G. Wells is one. Right. Because the area that gets decimated yeah, is where he grew up. That's what I love about it. It's all yeah. Chobham. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like all these like, the, the aliens and they've all fucking landed yeah, in yeah. Chobham. In Chobham. Because <laughs> that's where they would go. That's exactly where they would go. Um, and, the, and another one in that subgenre is um, Hot Fuzz, Edgar Wright. Oh, yes. which, is, which he filmed in his hometown because he wanted to just trash the place. Yeah. <laughs> there must be loads of other ones, but I don't know anymore. Yeah, that's no, good. Um, Have you uh, ever seen a UFO? Uh, it's a good question. We'll stick that in. Um, <laughs> I have not. Have you ever seen one? I believe I have. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> is that? I think, as well as Chobham, yeah. this is what made me think of it, because I was thinking, yeah, Chobham, aliens would go there. I think Port Talbot, yeah. where I come from, is on some weird alien map. Yeah. It's like some sort of stop-off. It's like a lay-by. It's like the little chef okay. of the galaxy. Um, because uh, when we moved into the house where my mum and dad still live and where I grew up. We moved there when I was about eight. The lady who lived next door. We live on a... I call it a mountain. Other people say it's a hill. We live on a mountain. And at that point, no-one had built beyond our street. So there was just mountain, hill. And um, the lady who lived next door, who was a very respectable lady, she wasn't someone who would make up <laughs> stories, she told us 
that one morning she was in the kitchen, which overlooked the back garden mountain. And she said uh, she was standing there making a coffee and, um, and <laughs> a flying saucer came down, hovered over a back garden yeah. and then went. And, of course, you just think that's nonsense. But she was, ve- she was a very serious lady. Um, so when I grew up, I always used to question that. It was like a weird thing that, that yeah. someone had told me, and I, I, I never kind of explained it. And one day I was coming home from school, and I'm walking up. I got off the school bus, and I was walking up my street. And I, just as I was about to turn up the path to my house, I have a view of the side of the mountain next to our mountain. And coming round that mountain, as she comes, was... <laughs> Was this was lights? This like formation of lights coming around the mountain, and I sort of stood there looking at it, thinking this has got to be some weird reflection of some. There was a formation of things coming around and going out across the sea, and then disappearing. Right. And I, I, I thought, do I stand here and watch it, or do I run in and tell people? And I stood there and watched it, and then eventually I ran in and told people, and uh, there was nothing there by then, of course. <laughs> um, and then. Uh, years later, on New Year's Eve, not that long ago, about five years ago, my dad was up on in New- the... Well, hold on, on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, yes. When people are <laughs> yes. famously drinking but that comes, But that does come okay. into it, but okay. not in the way that you're in playing, Richard. <laughs> my dad, who had not had a drink that night, went up to bed, and up in, his, in my mum and dad's bedroom, you can see across the whole of Potalbert, and he said he saw a light in the sky, and uh, he was watching it. And, again, my dad is not someone... I mean, my dad is a character, but he's not someone who would make this up. And he said he saw a a, a thing in the sky with lights going around it, and it was there for ages, and then it kind of shot off. And he thought, well, there's bound to be something in the newspapers about that. And nobody did, because they were all pissed (laughs) at New Year's Eve. And that's where that comes in. I think Patalbert is some kind of hub. Yeah. I mean, people in Port Talbot maybe haven't seen a helicopter before. Is that going to be that? <laughs> that is entirely or a, possible. Or a car. A car driving. A car driving. They're driving along. <laughs> what the fuck is that, Di? Um, and my other favourite thing you've done, I and mean, there's a lot of favourite things of, of yours, but my absolute favourite thing you've done is when you played Wesley Snipes. In 30, in 30 Rock. rock. Oh, there's is... only one Wesley Snipes. No, there's not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so right, because Wesley Snipes should be called Michael Sheen and you should be called Wesley Snipes. <laughs> it makes a lot more sense that way. Wesley Snipes is, the, is not the right name no, for, for Wesley, Wesley Snipes. Snipes. Yeah. Michael Sheen, yeah, I can see that. Right, was, fair enough. Wesley Snipes, bang. Yeah, that was, that was the joke. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Just yeah. explaining it for my, fa- for my audience who don't... What was, what, what was quite funny about that was that... Um, so, Tina Fey, who wrote it, uh, asked me if I would do it, and I went along and did the first episode, and then she started writing the character sort of for me yeah. as, as I was doing it, and it just got weirder and weirder. <laughs> <laughs> and then she ended up asking me to play her husband, or her ex-husband, in a film called right. Admission that we did together. And then I met her husband, who does look weirdly like me. <laughs> <laughs> I leave that there. Yeah, leave it there. It's a great sh- show thing. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. She, I mean, she's genius. Yeah, she is. And that whole cast, by the time I was in it, I mean, it had done a lot of seasons by then. 
And they were just amazing. Yeah. They were absolutely amazing. And it is quite intimidating walking into something like that. Because it's not my usual thing at that point. I've done a lot more of that kind of stuff now. But at that point, you walk in and you think, everyone's going to be like improvising, <laughs> American improvising. And, uh, and it was quite intimidating. But I, but I, I really enjoyed it. Maybe that's why I got weirder and weirder. <laughs> Because I was, I was so nervous when I first started doing it. Mm. Good. Well, I'll, I'll, I want to talk to you about another role in another yeah. film. I think you're great in this film. I had a discussion with uh, James Acaster about the film. Right. Uh, uh, to, at some, uh, there's a couple of things I want to sort out about it, which is the film Passengers. Ah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Which, A, you play a robot, so there's some stuff that I have to go into with about that. <laughs> you're very good as a robot uh, barman. Thank you. Uh, but there's a, it's a sort of slightly weird film in two ways, right? Mm-hmm. The first, the major way is the slightly... Uh, well, the, 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 the guy, uh, Chris... Uh, one of the Chris... Chris Pratt. He has... Um, one of the Chris brothers. One of the Chris, one of the Chris <laughs> actors. He's the funny Chris actor. Yeah. He's a slightly different one. Uh, and the one who's like you. He was quite large. Yeah. And then he became... Smaller. Now he became a sort of sex symbol movie star. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going for. Um, he uh, he's he's plays characters. Wakes up. They're they're flying a long way. Yeah. So spend animation. He wakes up and then he wakes up uh, a, a lady, Jennifer played, Lawrence, and played by Jennifer Lawrence. Yep. Um, but he's woken up on purpose and, it, and basically condemned her to death before they, she can get to the yes. place they're going to. Uh, but then it's played as sort of kooky romance rather than... A, and I, we, we sort of agreed it'd be better if she found out and then all hell broke loose and he was a sort of bad character. I know you right. didn't write the film, so it's not... I'm, not yeah. just in, I'm, just, I'm interested in your take on it. Yeah. But it's sort of weird that he gets redemption after doing this thing, which is sort of murdering her. Yes. Very slowly. Yeah. For, interesting. So that script yeah. had been around for, like, I want to say... 10, 11 years or something. And I remember, um, uh, you know, friends of mine, actresses who had been attached to it at one point or another, and it just... And you sort of go, why, why hasn't it ever got made? Like, it's been around for so long. And, uh, and I'd just heard about it. I'd never read it or anything. And, um, and I'd heard kind of the basic premise of it. <clears throat> I couldn't understand why. Either a film like, gets made, or it doesn't get made, and goes away. Like, there are some scripts that just stay around. Shakespeare in Love was another one. That yeah. was around for years and years and years and years. And it's often because they get people cast in the, in the main roles, yeah. and then one drops out, or, you know, something happens with the casting of it, and it just doesn't happen. And, uh, and so when I read the script, I, it's funny, I didn't have that problem with it. It never occurred to me that that would seem... A, pervy, <laughs> or B, just horrible. Yeah. Um, and uh, it just sort of worked on the page. And then when we, after it was made, and, peop- and I heard people saying about that, I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is a bit yeah. messed up, isn't it? And I think, I think the reason why it eventually did get made was because I think people must have been worried about that. And they thought, Chris Pratt, people love Chris Pratt. <laughs> they wouldn't mind being oh, woken up by him. come on, it's Chris Pratt. And Jennifer Lawrence, oh, people will understand. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence, of course you're going to wake her up. Of course you are. <laughs> and I tell you what, we'll put that weirdo Welshman in there. <laughs> Hopefully that will deflect all the animosity towards him. Um, uh, yeah, so I think it was because they thought, well, the, 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 here are two actors who can both... They have the star power, but they're also really, really likable. 
and um, I think they hoped that no one would notice. Yeah, but they did. Well, I mean, retrospectively, he's, 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 it's okay because the ship was going to blow up if he didn't, if they weren't there to That's save true. it. So he saved her life, but yeah. he didn't know that when he woke her up in a creepy serial killer fashion. And love will find a way, Richard. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's the message. No. I don't think that's the message to the, no. the creepy men out there who fancy someone who doesn't know they exist. <laughs> yeah, no, go and wake them up. It's fine. Go and <laughs> not stare at them through a window until they love you back. That's the... <laughs> There's also a, sort of a weird shining thing going on yeah. in there as, yeah. you know, as well. Which, again, you'd think, surely you'd want to stay away from the creepy... Guy in a hotel on his own ends up killing his family associations yeah. in a film that might have a few yeah, that's true. issues around creepy. I, I think I really, I sort of enjoyed it. it just, it's, it's really, there's loads of really great things about it. Yeah. The other thing that being James A. Caster, it's nice, just nice to have someone from the film in. I'm never going to get Jennifer Lawrence. Somewhere, let's face it. So, uh, <laughs> but if I get the chance to put her in some kind of hypnol state, obviously I will. <laughs> Bring her on. That's what that was the message of the film, right? <laughs> I'll just do a reverse passengers, <laughs> knock her out, get her on, then she's here, then she has to do it, right? Yeah. That's the message of the film. Yeah. That's not my message. Um, why is Andy Garcia in it for one minute at the end? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have no idea. I think there is an entire other film that Andy Garcia thought he was making. <laughs> and then he turned up at the premiere and was it's like, really where, where am I? <laughs> it's really strange because you can't get away from the fact it's Andy Garcia. You're like, like, oh you my can't. God. What's going to happen? This is That's Andy Garcia. Where's this film going? <laughs> oh, bye, 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 Andy. It's not going anywhere. It's going exactly where we thought it was going. And Andy's going somewhere else. I, uh, funnily enough, I, I did a film called uh, uh, Kingdom of Heaven, yes. Ridley Scott film, uh, about, you know, crusaders and knights and all that kind of stuff. And. Um, uh, at the at the uh, premiere of it, Leicester Square, I'm walking along the red carpet. Leicester <laughs> Square Theatre. You go to the right place. Yes. <laughs> okay. That time I did. And I'm walking along the red carpet, and Ridley Scott comes up to me and he goes, "Hello, Michael. Just to let you know, you're not really in the film anymore." <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't. <laughs> I had to sit there with a big smile on my face all the way through. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com um, Oh, I was going to say at the beginning, this is the beginning, that I was hoping to make this, I was hoping tonight would go well, mm-hmm. and that then they would make a film. It's going all right so far, so it's yeah, good to get okay. this halfway through. Good. That we could make a film of this, called Herring Sheen. And I would like you... Where are you going with this? I would like you to play me in right. the film. Okay. Bring Nish Kumar to play you. <laughs> would you be up for that? And how would you go about catching what I, what I am? I know with Brian Clough, you kind of had to find... You know, you found, I was talking to David Tennant in his inferior podcast. I don't know who this guy is. doing interviewing better celebrities than I can get. <laughs> um, you talked about how you realised he was sort of a member of a... He was like well, a like cult. Like a cult leader, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, how would you go about getting into Richard Herring and being... How, what would the process be <laughs> of getting into me? I mean, it starts with the jumper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I think I, think, uh, I think I would spend a long time... Clearing stones. Mm. <laughs> because that's the way in, yeah. Richard. Uh, I, what I do is I... Uh, with all the characters I've played who are based on real people, I, uh, the temptation is to immediately start trying to, like, copy them and speak like them and all that. And you have to resist... Well, I think you have to resist that. I like to liken it to... Uh, you take a warm bath... Yeah. In Richard. Okay, I sum up. Where you just completely immerse yourself <clears throat> in the person. Yeah. So watch everything, read everything you can, listen to everything. So in the case of, let's say, Kenneth Williams, yeah. um, Kenneth Williams wrote diaries, which was very handy because then I could, he, could, he would say, oh, I was listening to this music or I watched this film or read this book and I really liked it. So I could do all of that. And slowly you start to kind of, it just sort of, seeps into you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, then you start to try and see how, how it sounds. And, and to try and get, like, you have to get below the surface. Now, with some people, there is nothing below yeah. the surface. Yeah. Um, so that could then... If you could have a choice at the parts, Herring or Sheen, in the film Herring Sheen, yeah. which would you prefer to play? Definitely those? Herring. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Don't want to play myself. That would be awful. No, I, 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 yeah, I would like to. I'd like to get inside you, Richard. Okay, that's what. I'd like that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> My wife doesn't like it when I flirt with the guests. But I, I think she, I think she might be okay with this one. <laughs> might be a thing. Uh, we had we had Matt Ford talking about Brian Clough, mm. who was it? Like he, Matt Ford had been uh, like a mascot. And he had, bad, he had bad eczema. And... He told me about yeah, yeah. eating Brian Clough. Yeah. yeah. So it's, the Brian Clough thing is extraordinary. It's, I mean, it's a brilliant book. And it, it, yeah. it? And then it's... Well, the book is very, yeah. very dark. Yeah. It's very, like, angry and kind of alcohol-fueled. Because, I don't know, for anyone who hasn't read the book, it's all inside Clough's head. So you get a kind of running commentary on his life. And he's so just bitter and angry and vengeful. And... Um, and so Clough's, Brian Clough's family were very against the book. They didn't like right. the book at all. And so when it was announced that we were doing a film based on the book, they were very against the film. And we, we tried to, to say, look, no, the film's not, you know, it's based on the book. It's based on those events, but it's not, hasn't got that tone. It's going right. to be much more 
celebratory and, and, and much more a kind of um, a rounded, hopefully, portrayal of, of Clough. Mm-hmm. But they, they very much kept us at arm's length. Right. And, uh, which I was really sad about because, I mean, I understand it, but I was hoping that even after the film had come out, maybe there would be some, the, some kind of connection. Because, you know, you, you, you concentrate on you know, playing someone like Clough. And I, I loved it. Like, yeah, I yeah. really did genuinely kind of love him. And he's full of contradictions. And, you know, he could be very cruel at times and could be nasty to people and stuff. But he was, he was an extraordinary, a great man, I would say. And, um, and so afterwards, I really, I really wanted to have some kind of sense of, not approval, but some kind of validation, I suppose, from, from the family. But, uh, you know, that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, uh, when we were filming it, so it's, it's partly about his time at Derby and then also partly about his time at Leeds United. And when we were shooting the Derby bits, um, we, we, uh, we were filming, a, a, I think it was the oldest football ground in Britain at the time, uh, in uh, was it Chester, uh, Chesterfield, I think. And, um, and we were about to go up to Leeds and film at Ellen Road and with all you know, recreations of the Leeds team at the time and all that. And we got a message from Leeds United saying, um, we've, uh, we've been uh, in contact with the players that are represented in the, uh, in the film, and they are not happy about this. So, unfortunately, you can't use the name Leeds United. <laughs> oh, can't use the kit. You can't use any of the names of the players. And we, we'd already started filming. We were halfway through filming. Yeah. So we had to send, like, the writer, Peter Morgan, and the producer to go and meet the, the ex-players and kind of say, look, we're not... It's not going to be a hatchet job on you. You're not going to look bad in it. This is absolutely celebratory. And eventually they agreed. Yeah. And then the opening five minutes of the film is footage of all those players being the dirtiest players in Britain. <laughs> uh, and there was a screening in Leeds. I didn't make that one. <laughs> I think it was a near riot. Yeah, yeah but, it, you know, that's what... It's, it's such a dramatic... It's such a, a brilliant thing to notice the drama in, in the... Yeah. You know, it is... That well, that's sort of Peter, mo- Peter yeah. Morgan's genius. So I did... So Peter did all the things that I played Tony Blair in, yeah. all three of them. He wrote Damned United. He wrote Frost Nixon. Uh, he did, he's done The Crown recently as well. And um, his, his kind of... He's brilliant in all kinds of ways, but his genius is for, if, is for seeing drama somewhere that you'd never think there was drama. Like, who would have thought it would be interesting to do The Queen and Blair, or, you know, or, or even Frost Nixon. He just gets, like, oh, not only is that interesting dramatically, but it also gives the audience the thrill of kind of lifting the veil. Yeah. And see it, it's like seeing the wizard, you know, behind the curtain in Wizard of Oz. You get, you get to see, oh, that's what it's really like. And, and he has a brilliant uh, kind of sense for that. Um, and he definitely got that in, 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 with Clough. I remember him saying to me, because I got a bit pissed off, because I was saying, all the things we do, the other one is always the interesting character. Blair and uh, <laughs> Brown in The Deal. Brown's the interesting character. The Queen, the Queen's the interesting character. <laughs> when am I... And he was like, I've got you one. <laughs> Brian Clough. <laughs> I thought, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. That, is, that is good. Yeah. And they were horrible. I used to sport leads in those days. And yeah. They were horrible. <laughs> and you know, and it's that's just the, the fact that he was was he there for like thirty forty two days, yeah, forty something days. It's amazing, yeah. yeah. I remember, I remember one of it must be an early memory. It was quite in the early seventies, yeah, seventy four. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw him play against Bristol City. <laughs> <laughs> I was living down south by then. Um, 
Good, I'll ask you an emergency question to get me out of this uh, weird hole I've dug myself into. You didn't ask into. me about being a robot. You said you were uh, going to I know. Well, I was, uh, do you think it's che- would be cheating if I had sex with you when you were being the robot in <laughs> Passenger? <laughs> Only it'd be weird, because did, bo- did you have a bottom... Hu- you didn't have anything down below? I didn't did have you? anything there down no, there, no. So, I had to be, so I, had, I, was, um, I had to be strapped in to a contraption. I had a big steel rod up my back. And I was strapped to it. Yeah. And Tell then, me more. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then there was this guy behind a computer desk, and he programmed the movements of the, of okay. the thing behind the bar. And it would just... <laughs> whiz around. Oh, wow. I'd be like, whoa. And I had to be strapped to this iron bar, because I, I, when I came... <laughs> when they whizzed me to the bar, I couldn't shake. Like, I had to, I had to stay really still. And, uh, and if someone was to get in the way of the track... <laughs> because I, I had no control over the thing, the machine. It would just kill them. I can't believe they had, I, you know, they can do that stuff with CGI now, can't they? They, they, they just, I, they just said, well, let's get Sheen in and let's yeah. really give him a fucking roller well, coaster they get, ride. They CGI'd my... Yeah. So I had to wear... When you do the CGI thing... They didn't actually take your legs off. They didn't take no, my legs okay. off. You have to wear green, yeah. a green outfit. Have you seen that thing where people wear a full green outfit and they look like Andy Serkis looking like... Kermit or something, yeah. you know, being Gollum. <laughs> and so you have to wear green because then that, they can use the green to put the CGI on. So I had to wear the, the Shining Bartender top off and then in stupid green leggings. <laughs> and I'm walking on set every day, upper half, quite James Bond. <laughs> Lower half, knob. And I had to walk on the set every day with Jennifer Lawrence, hoping to impress Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> Looking like an idiot. <laughs> Never mind. I'll ask you an emergency question. I was going to... I was going okay. to move on to something else. It's going to be... Oh, no, I'll do something in the back. I've got some new ones at the back. Relatively new back ones. Oh, I'm going to ask... Oh, no, I'll wait, I'll wait for that. Uh, what's your greatest weakness? That's what they were asking the Tory candidates yesterday. Is that what they were what's asking? Your, what's your biggest weakness? It's a sort of job interview question. Oh, if I see a field of wheat... <laughs> <laughs> You have to clear all the stones out of it and put them around the sides. Yeah. What I worry is that you'll come and see my stones one day and go, I could have built that much in a day. <laughs> um, I've been doing it for months. Um, my earrings <laughs> and, my, and my curly hair. A brave um, new world, Richard. Um, no, I won't ask you that one. This, I don't know you well enough yet. You know, I'm really disappointed because I, I, I'm on holiday at the moment. In Devon? Yeah. Uh, I'm not even here. This is a CGI... Is this like... For David Lynch fans out there, is this like in Lost Highway, where that guy is both in the uh, party in Hollywood, yeah. but he's also in the person's house... It's very ...answering the like phone that. at it's, the same time? It's exactly that. I'm looking after my stupid fucking kids in Devon. <laughs> <laughs> Going on holiday with kids is the fucking worst thing. It's like... Being not, it's like being in your regular life, except you have to be with them all the time. <laughs> they don't go away at all. It's much harder than just a normal day <laughs> in your life. So I'm delighted to be here. Um, <laughs> and do escape. But I got on my way here, I got an email saying, oh, pointless celebrities, which I've been on a couple of times, I don't think I've mentioned it, uh, and I've asked you to come on on Wednesday with Michael Sheen. Yes. Did you I, ask for I you asked a for in you. Your heart? And so I kind of emailed my wife and said, I can't do this, I can't do that. So oh, because you're I, old, I, I'm because you're So, old. yeah, because I'm going back tomorrow to Devon, then I'd have to come back on Wednesday. If it was tomorrow, I think I would have done it. I, I t- I'll tell you my thought process. Yeah. 
They say, right, we're filming on Wednesday. Who's available? Yeah. <laughs> and I've heard you saying yeah. on this podcast that you're pretty much available all the time yeah. to go on quiz shows. And I thought, who would be fun? And who do I think has a range of knowledge I think we'd adjacent win. to mine? I think we'd win together. You know music. You know yeah. about music, and I don't know. So I said, Richard Herring yeah. or Adam Buxton. All right. You've got Buxton's Buckley's doing Buxton it? wasn't in either. Okay. <laughs> um, no, so it's me and Steve Pemberton. Oh, Which okay. I'm actually quite... That's good. I'm very happy about it. You'll definitely win. Yeah. And I watched that. Oh, it could have been... It could have been me. It could have been... So, I was on so the chase the other day. I know. Well, I was going to ask about the chase. Well, let's talk about the chase. Okay. Um, and I, what I like about it is when you get... When, you, when the tabloids write about the chase, they say all the people who are furious on Twitter with you. In so the people, mirror. they were... They were furious for going for the low... Oh, they were furious with me. Yeah, because you were you were offered a hundred grand. Yeah, five grand or two grand. Like for two grand. And the girl yeah. before you, the lady before you, had, had brought in seventy thousand pounds. That's right. And you didn't even go for five thousand. And let me remind you, uh, of the twenty-one points that we scored <laughs> matter, in the final round, who scored seventeen? It doesn't them? matter. Me. If I had, if I hadn't got back to yeah. the to the to the. The, 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 for the final round, yeah. you would still have scuppered. lost. You would still have, you'd have, you could have lost one hundred and seventy thousand pounds instead of some people <laughs> who really know how to play the chase. Yeah. Understand <laughs> why I made that choice. Yeah. For you amateurs out there, we go did very, watch pointless celebrities. He was playing. He was, <laughs> he was playing the beast who tried to do a Mr. Sheen joke uh, yeah. at the beginning, which didn't, didn't work. And then there was a question about pie, to, which I knew would have got for you if I'd been on your team. Yeah. How many places to go? And then you said you look like you've had a lot of pie in your life. Yeah, and people got upset. Did they? Calling Mark fat. <laughs> Hang on. The whole premise of the show is based <laughs> on that he's fat. The first thing Bradley says every week is, oh, and Mark Labatt, the beast, he's a fat fucker, isn't he? Or something, <laughs> something, you know, yeah. but walshed up, yeah. walshed up. I mean, yours was witty, because it was about, it wasn't even that, so you yeah. didn't, you know, look like you'd know a lot And I thought pie. I'd get in the spirit of the show yeah. and make a joke. pie joke. It was a good joke. People were like, call him Mark Fat. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Do you still wake up, because it was, it was right down to sort of ten seconds to go, you had a chance to pull one back, and you said Indonesia instead of Philippines? Yeah. Do you regret it? Do you still wake up at night thinking about it? I don't, because I okay. got 17 of the 21 <laughs> questions. Right. So I don't think I'm the one who should be answering these no. critical questions. Okay. Talk to Martin Bell. The people on Twitter, <laughs> the people on Twitter did say he, you know, he, he did well in the last round, though. He, did, yeah. he, he made up. People no, it is. Him. I mean, it's, it's a cliche, yeah. but oh, it's a different thing when you're there, Richard. <laughs> It's not the same as being in your living room. <laughs> it's really not. I'm going to be... Have you ever done Tipping Point? I'm doing Tipping Point in July. Are you? <laughs> Fantastic. I, my aim is to do every single <laughs> British quiz yeah. show. That is my aim. I was going to suggest it to Comic Relief. Yeah. But, I mean, it's too late now because I'm saying it publicly. I was going to see if in one year... I could do every single British quiz show, but try to get away with no one knowing it's me. <laughs> so I would go on in character, a different character, and then at the end of the year on Comic Relief, they would show the clips of me and it would go, oh my God, it was him. <laughs> Chameleon Michael Sheen. <laughs> and it would satisfy my yeah. slightly weird obsession yeah. with British quiz shows. That would be good. I would love to do Tipping Point. Yeah. Tipping Point is an interesting one because the very first time I watched Tipping Point with Ben Shepard, 
I, uh, I thought, this is shit. <laughs> this is the worst. This is just that thing in the fair that you used to do when you were a kid and got bored and walked away. Why is this a TV? I love it now. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Me and my mum watch it all the time. I get my mum to tape the chase. Yeah. Celebrities, partic- uh, pointless, particularly pointless celebrities. Yeah. Uh, I'm now tipping point. I'd like yeah. to add tipping point to it. Okay. Well, have you got any, uh, you know, any tactics for me? Because it's working out where the Go up thing's going to fall and switch. Work- I'm looking forward to the conversation of because I'm just going to bench every every time he asks me where it's going to land. I'm just going to don't know yet. Well, let's see. <laughs> it's gravity and it's random. Did it? I think. I think. <laughs> just let's wait. Why are we talking about this? It's going to happen in a second. <laughs> yeah. Let's just you and me then. <laughs> Stand here enjoying each other's company until it comes just, up. Shh, let's watch it. It's happening. <laughs> did you see Bob Mortimer on it? I didn't. I think Bob Mortimer had the same idea as me at one point and went, I'm going to be on every <laughs> quiz show. Because he was on every quiz show yeah. for a while. He'd be like, Bob Mortimer's on it. <laughs> and he was fantastic. Yeah. He was so good. Um, I, yeah, so I love Tipping Point. But it's quite rare to see, you know, you're a big Hollywood star. You don't have to do these kind of shitty shows. I don't. I mean, like I this. For, like this. Yeah. But even, you know, but someone like me, I love going on those. I things. was on Publicum the other day. Okay. That is Wales's Welsh language. Thank you. Uh, that is Wales's Welsh language soap opera. I turned up. I can't even speak Welsh. <laughs> I turned up as a doctor. For one scene in Publicum. Because I can. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to send you some of my scripts and you can be in some stuff. Do you, remember, do you do. remember when Ian McKellen clearly went, I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> I'm going to do pantomime and yeah. I'm going to do coronation street. <laughs> do you remember when he did that? Yeah. He went through that phase. I loved that. But I love it too. I think that's. It's, I really like actors who, you know, because yeah. you're a very serious actor and you do the serious stuff really well. You do the comedy really well, but it's great to just show that I can do. You know, you can do all yeah. different types of stuff. The main reason is because. So my daughter grew up in Los Angeles, in America, with her mum, and so I ended up living there to be with my daughter, and so I was. So I was forced, ultimately, essentially forced to have a career with integrity. <laughs> because I couldn't be here to do the stuff I actually wanted to do. <laughs> now that my daughter is old enough and has moved out, I'm here and I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> show me the quiz show! Oh dear, I love it. Uh, and, and Gabe, you're on a panel show with... Yeah, uh, yeah Alan. with Alan Carr. Yeah. It's unexpected, but you're very good on it. Because you... Know, you but you I, can do I, the well, impressions and... Yeah, but I, I've only got... There's a small window, isn't there, where people go, oh, Michael Sheen's... <laughs> very soon it'll be, oh, it's him again, doing another <laughs> one. Oh, yeah, how many more of these is he going to do? But, I, yeah, I've loved it. It's great. We're doing another series. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Good. Um, I, you know, it's, because you've done loads of great... The comedy stuff is great as well, and the, um, I really love the League of Gentlemen film you were yeah. in. I mean, that, Jeremy Dyson must have been so excited to have you... Well, I don't know. You know the, do you know the story of why Jeremy is the only one of the league who doesn't act? Um, I don't really know why. When they, well, I it's not much of a story, but it's, it's... So, when they first started out, they were all at Leeds University together. Yeah. And they all... And all four of them used to do the characters and all that. And then as it went on, 
the Steve, Reese, and Mark were like, mm, Jeremy's not very good, is he? <laughs> and so they had to have a word to Jeremy and go, we don't think you should perform Ooh. anymore. You should just write. And I think Jeremy was like, yeah, no, I don't think I should do this anymore. Or whatever. And um, so then when it came to doing the movie, they wanted to have Jeremy in it, and then they asked me. Yeah. Now, that was another, I was a massive League of Gentlemen fan. I just loved the show. So it was really weird, like someone going, I'm going to pick you up and put you in your favourite show. And so I had all the, like, the carrot tubs and stuff running around. It was amazing. Yeah. It, was, it was both really exhilarating and terrifying at the same time to have these weird characters actually talking to you. It's yeah, like yeah. a weird dream. Yeah. I thought it was great. It didn't kind of break through in the, in the way I expected no. it to do. But I actually yeah. thought, it was, I thought it was unfairly, uh, you know... Yeah, it was a brilliant it. idea. Yeah, I mean, they, they've always been... I mean, they're too good in a way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're too clever and too... Like, it's, it's, too, it's not mainstream enough, I suppose. And then I, you could say that other people took bits of what they did and, and made them more mainstream and had more success. You could see it in lots of different things. Yeah. But, um, but they are the real thing. They're amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and like casting David Warner... Uh, time Bandits. Anyone else like Time Bandits? Yeah. David Warner in Time Bandits. Oh, come on. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, and all the things that he's done. He's amazing. And then they cast him. Their love of, like, British horror and genre stuff. It's just amazing. Yeah. So I, I, I love that film, yeah. But I think it was a bit... I mean, anything that you can describe as a little Pirandellian, <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> going to break through into the mainstream. <laughs> Although they've sort of taken over now yeah. TV between them, haven't they? They've, That's they've true. kind of carved it up and yeah. uh, d- are doing fantastically well. So I think they'll, they'll, they'll be okay. They'll survive. They'll be all right. And Steve's doing uh, pointless celebrities with yeah. So, you know, he's doing all right. Isn't he? If, he has, if, he has a, if he has that trophy, I've only tried three times. It's come on. Have you not won yet? Yeah. Not, not one. No. What, um, what was your bit noir? What was your Waterloo? Um, just every time the person I've been on with. <laughs> Just let you down. fucked it up. Let you down. And the third time it was my wife. So uh, <laughs> she was the best of the lot. Just she, she yeah. Don't, don't bring it up. You know, I, funnily enough, I was thinking, maybe you've got a similar thing going on for you doing uh, Pointless, as I've got, as I thought, with this show. Right. So the first time I tried to come and do this show, yeah. didn't work out, Nish ended up stepping in, mm-hmm. and tonight went to the wrong theatre, yeah. nearly didn't make it. Yeah. I thought, is this a bit like Final Destination? <laughs> or have you, have, you, have you read or seen that Stephen King thing, 11-22-63, yes. where time itself tries to stop the main character yes, yeah. from accomplishing his, his goal? I think you might have a similar thing going on with, uh, uh, with Pointless. It could be, if I win it. And you could have won it with me, yeah. day after tomorrow. And then that. Devon has got in the way. I'll tell you, I just wish I didn't have a family. I'm, I, I've never regretted... <laughs> never regretted. We could, I'd have hung out with you more. We could have become proper friends. I could have said, look, I've got this script I've got for you. I want you to take over and read it. <laughs> with any luck, there'll be a horrific car accident... <laughs> ..today yeah. or tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can just have more kids, can't you? So that's the thing, you can just have some more. I mean, I can see a lot of women in this audience. <laughs> There's I, always Jennifer Lawrence to wait There for. is. Um, I, don't, I want to ask you very briefly, uh, you were in Midnight in Paris. I was. Uh, which is quite controversial in some ways, because yes. what was it like being in the movie version of Goodnight Sweetheart? <laughs> uh, 
Did you feel? Did you feel bad about? I tell you what. Flipping? When I shouted yeah. on my first day on set to Woody Allen, <laughs> "Where's Nicholas Lindhurst?" <laughs> he didn't know what I was talking about. They've done it again. They've done. I've, I've seen actually the new Good Night Sweetheart film, which is yesterday. Uh, I went to a press yes. screening of it. Nearly good, but it's like, it's like Richard Curtis lives in a universe where he doesn't realise everyone else has seen Good Night, Sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a sort of good premise, though, isn't it? It's, it's like... a great premise, and it starts well, and I, it started, and I thought, actually, I'm going to like it. Mm. I'm going to overlook the fact that they're not going to do time travel and alternate yeah. universes properly, which... Because if you change one thing, everything changes, right? So if you yes. take the Beatles out and Coca-Cola out and Harry Potter out, which are none of these things exist in this universe, then everything's different. There's right. one thing, quite offensive at the end, there's a big difference again. Why is that thing different but everyone else is the same? Once you change one thing, go to Woody Allen and tell him this. Once you change one thing <laughs> in the past, then you know, everything changes. So if you yeah. get rid of Coca-Cola, nobody on Earth is the same person as, they, as, as now. Have we learned nothing from Back to the Future? Exactly. <laughs> But even Back to the Future doesn't get it, but it's closest. Back to the let future. me tell you this. Yeah. Um, uh, five days ago, four days ago, I was standing in front of the clock tower in Back to the Future. That is the truth. I'm in 1952? No. <laughs> there were five different versions of Michael J. Fox around. No, there weren't. Um, I'm just going to take you back. I'm filming a scene for Frost Nixon at Universal Studios. And, it was, and in fact, the scene's not in the film, ultimately. It was a scene where Frost is in, the, in his car and he's in Savile Row picking up some shirts, getting his driver to pick up my shirts. And, uh, <laughs> and the point of the scene was to show that Frost had a telephone in his car. <laughs> he was the first man in Britain right. to have a telephone in his car. And that was the whole point of the scene. And uh, got cut. Anyway, we filmed it. Imagine we... they cut you out of that whole film. Oh. Just in the... You're not in it. You're, in... <laughs> you're not in it. On the red carpet. <laughs> when I notice that it's just called Nixon. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm filming this scene. And we filmed it at Universal because they had a, a, a back lot. You know, one of those, like... It was a New York street, but they made it look like London. And they'd said, oh, we'll just make it rain, and people will think it's London. <laughs> and so we shot it in Universal. And um, in between takes, I got out of the car, stretched my legs, and I just walked down the little back lot, round the corner, came out into this square. I was like, this is Back to the Future. <laughs> and it was. The entire square of Back to the Future, they've got it on the Universal back lot. Anyway, a few days ago, I was in um, L.A.M. to do some reshoots for a film called... Uh, the Voyage of Dr. Doolittle, which is why I look like such an arse <laughs> with my beard. Um, and uh, we were shooting uh, the reshoots in a, on a soundstage right round the corner from the Back to the Future mm -hmm. square, and I was just able to revel in it. Yeah. Because that is a great film. That is great. Is the... Is the uh, which is the... Is it Back to the Future 1 or 2? I think it's 2. Where he, where he goes back, back to the future, <laughs> and you see... Scenes from the first film with him now watching himself yeah. in the first... Is two. that still in the first film or is it the second? Two. That is two. Oh, that is amazing. That is amazing. I say Godfather... Two, the great sequels of all time. <laughs> Godfather 2. Yeah. Uh, Babe, Pig in the City. Yeah. And Back to the Future 2. Yeah. Beat that. Oh. Yes, Empire Strikes Back, of course. Brilliant. 
Brilliant. Yeah, there you go. Tron Legacy. Thank you. Hi <laughs> there, you are. Haven't seen it. Oh. I didn't want to. I didn't want to spoil my memories of the first. Of the original. Did you love Tron. the first one? I oh, didn't, you're I didn't. a year older than me. Oh yeah. So I think I was like seven, eight. Yeah, I, I was. I'd have been. Yeah, I was. I'm about a year, year and a bit older than you. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the first film I ever saw. My uncle took me to see it in uh, the cinema in Neath. And uh, it was the first film I ever saw that when I came out, I still felt like I was in the film. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you kind of have that thing, yeah. oh, I'm still, I'm, I'm in that world. I loved that film. And so then doing the, the sequel yeah. was, was so amazing. Like being with Jeff Bridges. I played, you know the arcade game that yeah. it's all sort of based on, in, that he plays in the film, the first film. <laughs> They found the arcade... Because Jeff said that when they made the first film, they had that arcade game in, like, a little green room area. So in between takes, they would all play that game. Right. And uh, 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 what's it called? Like, Space Paranoids or something? Space? I can't remember. Um, and uh, anyway, they had that arcade game one day, and I played it with Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and he is, he is absolutely... Like, there are people that I've met. On the whole, people I've... Like, they say, don't meet your heroes and all that. On the whole, everybody I've met who has been a bit of a hero has surpassed themselves. I've never been let down, apart from Laurie Anderson. I've never been <laughs> let down by them. And Jeff Bridges is absolutely everything you would want oh. Jeff Bridges to be. He's amazing. <laughs> absolutely amazing. Oh, good. You just sort of love him. All right, I'll watch it then. Yeah. I'll watch it then. <laughs> I will not watch any of the Twilight films, though. So uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I refuse to do that for you. <laughs> Look, we haven't talked about loads of things and we haven't got much time and I, I wanted to talk to you about because I think there's we had David Morrissey on uh, last series and you know, I think again a sort of an actor sort of t- turning 50, into his 50s mm. and, and it's happened to you as well I mean, you sort of reassessed your life a little bit and mm. where you are in the world and it's kind of quite interesting you've sort of returned to your community of Port Talbot and yep. done lots of things within the community there which is all very admirable, apart from certain people on the internet who would criticise you either way, though, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. They'd either go, oh, he's a big Hollywood star and he never goes back to Port Talbot. <laughs> oh, he's a big Hollywood star and he's gone back to Port Talbot. <laughs> but he lives in a big mansion, <laughs> drinking champagne. Uh, but it's, but it's, it's interesting what's... I was interested with David about it, but I just was interested in talking to you about what's driven you. Because you, you, you were very successful very quickly as an actor and, and, you, and everything sort of just opened up for you and you didn't really have any of that disappointment or waiting or any of those things really with, with, with acting. It was just straight in and you were playing Hamlet and you were playing Amadeus and you were playing Caligula and all yeah. on stage and then going on to this film and TV career. And then to cut, to just, to make that decision to, you know, not leave it behind. And I know, mm. I've got to want to hear it from you because I know there's been lots of interviews that misrepresent what, what's happened mm. and why you've done it. But it's obviously that slight middle-aged thing of I, I, want, to, I want to kind of reconnect with my past and where I came from and see the UFOs, maybe. I suppose, maybe. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it feels like... Uh, I mean, it's got, it can't be a coincidence that I, like, get to middle age and then sort of change kind of what I'm doing. I suppose that must be what it seems like. And I can't, I mean, that has to be a factor. But it's also circumstances. Um, like I said, my daughter uh, getting to the point where she left home and she's gone off and having her life... That sort of freed me up in a way, um, and that happened around the same time as I was doing a TV series in America that came to an end, um, and I'd started sort of getting more and more involved in 
non-acting stuff. I never quite know what to call it. If, I, if you call it activism, my bum goes in and out. It makes me feel a bit... Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, oh, active... Um, and it's not really politics. and I don't really know what it is. It's just not acting stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, funnily enough, when you say, like, I'd never... I'd, uh, I mean, I, did, I was, you know, in, in, in very general terms, successful... Very early. I left drama school a little bit early to do a play in the West End with Vanessa Redgrave. Mm-hmm. Not a bad start. Um, and, but I've, I'd all, I always used to say that um, I would still do this even if I was doing it in the streets in Patalbert. I would, I would be just as happy. Um, and, and there was always that kind of attitude a little bit. And then eventually I did do it in the streets in Patalbert. <laughs> and that was a big turning point in my life. When I, in 2011, um, I did a thing called The Passion in, in Patalba, and I'd worked on it for about two or three years, and it was with the, with the community, and it took place all over the town, and it was like one non-stop performance for 72 hours in the town over the Easter weekend. And, um, and in the development of that, over the two and a half years or whatever it was, I did spend more time back at home than I'd ever spent. I mean, I was always back and forth there with my, seeing my family and sure. everything. Um, but I spent more time there than I ever had, and I, got, and I had a completely new kind of perspective on the community that I grew up in. And not just the community I grew up in, but community. And I saw, I, I, I sort of went and met all the different organisations and charities and support groups and stuff in the town because I wanted to kind of get a sense of, of, of the work that people were doing in, in, the, in the town to help other people. Mm-hmm. It was, it's a sort of long story, but it was basically a version of the Easter story. I'm not religious myself, but... Um, I used that as a kind of a template. And it was a modern story about the town of Portalbert, um, but using the kind of story of, of Jesus and the passion as a kind of a way for people to kind of know what I mean, what's he had going a on. bad enough time the first time. Don't bring him I back know. in Port Talbot. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, a, and a key to it was, for me, was that the stuff that he's always seen as doing, there are people doing every day in communities all over the all over the country and all over the world. And so I wanted to sort of do a story about that. And so I met all these people and these organisations and I, for the first time, had a real sense of, A, the incredible work that people are doing and that they don't get any pay yeah. and they don't get any support and they don't get any, you know, they're not on the front pages of newspapers and all that kind of stuff, but they're, they're doing the things of getting their hands dirty and doing the real work of community. Um, and I realised it was getting, like, every time I went back, so I would, I would go and work in the town for a bit, then I'd go away for a couple of months, and then I'd come back and work again. And every time I came back, something else had gone. Something else had disappeared. Like, there was a woman who, whose son had died. Actually, her son was in my class in school, and I remember when he died when we were 11. He, uh, he, it was a horrible accident. And um, I met her... And she said that she was, she'd rented a little room in a local centre and she was the only person offering grief counselling because she had gone through it herself and there was no one there for her. And so she had started doing this grief counselling. And then I went away and I came back and it, and it wasn't there anymore because the money for that little room in that community centre had been cut. And I kept noticing this all the time. So on the one hand, I got more and more of an appreciation of, what, of the work that people were doing. And on the other hand, I got more and more of a sense of more and more was being cut you know, and it was, and the council budgets were being cut, and, all, and inevitably, I didn't mean to be political. It was just unfair, yeah. unfair, and you know that wasn't happening in other communities that I would be filming in, for instance. Like when I was filming Good Omens, we filmed a lot in Oxfordshire. Amazing communities, they're beautiful, and I would go from one, literally down the motorway to the other, and go, hang on a minute, that's <laughs> not right. 
that's David Cameron's constituency. And they're all lovely there, and they have a lovely time. And then back at home where I come from, they have a shitty time a lot. You know, it's not fair. Um, and so it sort of came out of that. And, and I got more and more involved with those things after we finished The Passion, stayed in touch. And eventually I thought, I don't want to just turn up and have a photograph taken or put my name on something. I want to, I, you know, I've got more that I can do. I've, I've, I've earned, I've been very lucky, I've earned money. I've got kind of access to media and people want to interview me about stuff. And, and I've got, you know, and I care about this stuff. And I feel still connected, you know. I feel like I've got access to be able to go and talk to people in Westminster and be in someone's front room on Sunfield's estate in Patel. You know, there's yeah. a potential channel of information there. And these are the people who know what's really going on. And yet these are the people who are making the decisions. And that doesn't seem right. And so they need to be connected up a bit. And, I, and people will listen to me now and again until I fuck up. Uh, and, uh, and so, I, so like I say, the circumstances of my life yeah. where suddenly I didn't have to be in America, I didn't have to, you know, my daughter was doing her own thing and I didn't have to be there. And it all just sort of came together. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, either I, either I take a step forward here or I have to take a step back because there's too much. It's just too much otherwise. I can't do both things. And so I decided I would take a step forward. So I, at that point, decided that I would now, the acting would be there to support the other stuff. Because I felt, again, I was in a fortunate position to go, well, people offer me stuff. I don't have to really audition anymore. And there's enough work for now. And that window won't be open always. Mm -hmm. But for this period of time, there is enough work for me to not have to worry about that side of it. And so let that support the other stuff for now. And so that's what I decided to do. No, it's, it's great. Well, and also, it's just... That's all it takes, isn't it? It just takes, like, a few, a one person in each community to be that conduit. And we sort of live in a world where that just doesn't... I think even, like, in the old days, the Lord of the Manor would have gone, I'm clever enough to go, every now and again I'm going to throw a big party or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, do some stuff for other people so that they yeah. don't notice that I'm, <laughs> I've got yeah. all the money. Uh, <laughs> but, like, it seems like now that that's... You know, that, that doesn't happen, that people aren't as community-minded. And I know, like, Wales has that community and, and, and has been through... A, you know, that South Wales has been through so, so yeah. much, people have been through so much together that they're, they're still Well, there, I'm going but... through it again now. Yeah. You know, Ford just declared yeah. they were closing in Bridgend, the steelworks in Patel, but we still don't know what's going on with that. These are, these are the things that were kind of, that took over from the old mining industry yeah. and, the, and the heavy industry in the area. And, you know, those are under threat now again. And it's really scary at a time when budgets have been cut and cut and cut every year for, you know, many years now. It's really frightening what's going to yeah. happen to the communities again. And it's weird that, but I think, like, see, if an actor does it, people go, you're an actor, stop, you know, just, mm. just be an actor, why are you doing this, why are you putting yeah. noses? But then if Donald Trump becomes president of the United States, go, it's all right, forget he was a real, <laughs> yeah. reality TV well, star, he's allowed to be yeah. president. I mean, you're allowed to be interested in your own community or, where, or whatever you want to be interested in, but yeah. it's sort of interesting that, 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 that that's what you're doing is sort of exceptional and newsworthy, is sort of odd, isn't it? That, that well, I not think more it, people yeah, are doing it might be, because I, I understand why people are suspicious of, celebrities doing that yeah. stuff because fair enough <laughs> yeah you should be we should be suspicious of anyone who's sort of saying that they're trying to do that kind of stuff i mean great if if it's 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 the results yeah does it do you you know the things that you realize are once you start working in those sort of areas are that people go well how long are you going to be around for is this just something you're doing for a couple of weeks like are you just into this for whatever reason or are you here for the long haul and and i think you do, it does have to be in the in the results like 
Are you really going to do it? And the thing, I think what's, ex not exceptional, but the thing that's unusual is the things that I do are really boring. <laughs> <laughs> They're not like glamorous. I end high cost credit. Not really, not many people interested in that outside of the people who work in that area. You know? yeah. It's not the glamorous stuff. And, um, and I think people are surprised, like, why, why are you doing this? Um, uh, so I, I think it, 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 I, I, I'm not at all worried by people saying, being suspicious of your motives and, mm -hmm. and whether you're doing it. Like, you have to, you have to really, you know, get into it and commit time uh, almost more than anything, mm. I think. So that's fair enough. I, yeah, I totally understand that. No, it's, it's, it's terrific. And, you know, it's clearly something you feel strongly about. So it's, uh, course, you know... It's the people in Talbot are sick to death of it. <laughs> I, I, nobody wants me to do any yeah. of this stuff. It's just me forcing them. And do you feel, is it a middle-aged thing? Is it, is it real? Is it connecting back to your childhood somehow? Or is it just, you know, I've, I've, I've had a nice life? You mean you have it because it was saying, oh, there was, a, there was the news reports where you'd given up acting to I was fight going, fascism. I was going to fight Nazis yeah. in Tulsa, yeah. <laughs> Tur Michael Sheen turns his back on Hollywood <laughs> to fight Nazis in Wales. I mean, there's a film in that. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Sheen, Nazi hunter. Um, what are you doing in Port Talbot? I don't know. You've got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I think it was a combination of things. Uh, there's de I mean, it, again, circumstances... Um, definitely a kind of reconnection to where I came from. You know, like I said, I've never, even though I've lived away, I'm always there. I'm back yeah. and forth all the time. And, and the, I think there is a kind of cyclic thing I'm certainly noticing. I don't know if you are around this age where yeah. you start to kind of, you go, oh, I, right, those things that I was into, I think I talked about this on, on David's thing, but those things no, that I was into, better. yeah, those things that I was into when I was a teenager that I thought were just on the way to being interested in other things, Oh, no, they're really meaningful to me. Like, they really matter yeah. to me. They've been important parts of my life. And I think there's something like that going on about, you know, you, you come back. I never thought I would live in Patelford again. You know, I never thought that would happen. Not that I've got anything against it, but I just didn't think that would happen. Yeah. And there's something about returning home and, and going back to where you came from and the things that shaped you and the things that made you care about the things that you do. There is definitely something in that. And there's also definitely something in just being the middle-aged thing. Because at a point where I was starting to think... Oh my God, it's downhill from here, isn't it? But, you know, I, I really <laughs> felt like I'm not a young guy anymore, yeah. and all that, and started to get a bit worried about mortality and all that kind of mm. stuff. Suddenly, I had a whole new lease of life, like a whole new kind of not. I mean, I don't think of it as a career, but certainly, you know, I was doing different things. I was focusing on things and thinking about things that I wasn't wasn't my in my wheelhouse. It mm. certainly wasn't my comfort zone, and that really did kind of invigorate a lot of things for me. So definitely that was part mm. of it as well. No. And it's so you, my stone clearing. Yes. Yeah. Very similar. Don't talk it up. But it's... Uh, <laughs> but you, you still are active, obviously. Uh, yeah. we, we, have, we haven't got much time to talk about anything else, but uh, Good Omens is... I love the double act with you and David. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really, I love that... Uh, it, you know, that, just that basic question of good and evil and... Yeah. and um, I mean, it's sort of Milton, really, isn't it, about why would the devil do this stuff if he must know what... He's read the Bible as yeah. well, he must know what's coming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's sort of helping, yeah. helping the things... What's brilliant is, I think, <laughs> there's loads of things that are brilliant about Good Omens, but uh, that Neil and Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett wrote the book, that they're, they're dealing with really big, complicated themes, yeah. but in such a kind of stupid and funny and lovely way that you don't notice that actually there are major philosophical things yeah, being yeah. explored in it. And they just do that brilliantly, and I love that. Um, it was a real pleasure to be in that. And, and to work with David, 
because usually me and, I mean it's funny you say like he's the Scottish you but me and David would be up for the same parts usually yeah. we're never in things together because there's usually one hole that is the R shape yeah. and only one of us fits in it you know what I mean so to have both of us in something was, was great and you never know quite how it's going to go but just from the beginning it, yeah. we just sort of clicked really yeah and do you think you'll work do you, I mean you see because that's a that's a, a done deal isn't it? there's not going to be a series two of well, there's only one book. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think because it has done very well, there's a oh, really? lot of pressure on Neil okay. to do another one. But he's always said that he wouldn't. But, you uh, know, when that cheese comes to call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very good. I mean, his War of the Worlds is, is superior to yours. So I just want to start, start seeding that in. <laughs> the music isn't as good, though. So, you know, I'm torn. Uh, I'm torn. Yeah. I'm torn. Um, look, it's been so, I'm so uh, glad you've come, and it's a real honour for me to have you here. Uh, I hope you'll come again, because there's loads more I didn't uh, talk to you about. Uh, I've got some scripts backstage for you to look at. <laughs> if any acting roles come up, they don't have to be about men who go to prostitutes and are perverted, but if, just you can feel free to give me a ring, or okay. pointless. Uh, there's a to... lot of quiz shows we have to do yet. <laughs> <still, isn't it? laughs> And uh, th thanks for forgiving me about the tomato ketchup, which I was, I was worried about. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's Michael Faheen. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or RichardHerring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.